Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, where you're going to hear a valuable hunting-based conversation that's tailored for us Southern folk. If you love what we do and would like to support Southern Ground Hunting, you can visit patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting, or you can click on the link in the show notes below. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting. You can also support us by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps more than you know, and we greatly appreciate it. And now, let's get to the show. All right, guys, on the line with us today, we have a great guest. Uh, his name's Jake Lyshen, right? <laughs> long eye, right. you said? It's got a long yeah. eye in it, right? All right. It's a long eye. I think so. I'm not, a, I'm not like an English <laughs> major, so I don't know what that would be called. But Is it English? Um, is that Whatever it is where you pronounce the eye. <laughs> I was going to ask you what nationality that is. Like, what's your? Uh, so my back, my family's background is well. I say my family's background. We're probably we're more mutts than anything else. Like Mutt. most people in the U.S., right. I feel like. But <laughs> my last name comes from Germany. Okay, um, German. So makes sense. So you would pronounce it pronounce it probably more harsh, right? Leichen. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just yell it out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and I make a fool of myself trying to do that. But uh, I mean, you could if I was in Germany. I'm sure it would probably get yelled at me pretty aggressively. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I I tried to say it rather rather nicely, um, <laughs> if that's possible. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot for coming on, man. We're excited to talk to you, Adam. This is actually your idea for a podcast not necessarily it wasn't your idea for a guest you brought the idea to me um yeah. a couple of weeks ago and jake was pretty much the first person i thought about because he kind of yeah. gets to live this lifestyle throughout the hunting season so adam tell me all right um, this mm -hmm. is me interviewing the co-host for just a second okay. tell me why for you i yep. think my question literally was Hey, what are some things that you would like to hear on a podcast? Because you're probably one of the most critical guests I or critical friends that I have of podcasts, right? Sorry like, about that. Yep. You know what you you know what you want to hear. <laughs> what was it about the topic of out of state hunts that you really were just like you feel like there's a gap there as far as um, podcast episodes? There's not a lot of stuff about it. So first of all, you and I talked about, you know, strategy podcasts and how that really fits into like in season type of like the live podcasting. So while you're in season talking about the rut or the early season or the late season. So that's great. Uh, I don't really focus on that during the summertime, but right now my, my main focus is I'm dreaming, right? I'm thinking about what's next for me. It might not be just this year. It might be next year. It might be five years from now. What do I need to prepare to do for that Iowa hunt or that Kansas hunt? And so uh, really just thinking about like how to prepare for that out-of-state hunt. And it could be what state I'm going to, how do I choose what part of the state I'm going to, who do I talk to, what gear do I bring, 
all these different logistical issues. And this is really, in my opinion, the time where people are sitting back and they're thinking about how do I make my dream hunts come true? Um, and, and that's kind of why this topic came to my mind this time. That's good, man. I, I think it's going to be really good. And, um, part of the reason Jake, that you're the first person I thought of is because last year we literally, that's not where we met, right? We met at ATA in person, uh, several years back, but we kind of randomly ran into each other on an out of state hunt in North Dakota last year. And, uh, you seemed like you had like this great, well thought out plan for that trip. <laughs> like you were, you, 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 it seemed like when I'm on out of state trips and I, and I think I'm relatively good at planning them and staying true to them. I'm kind of, I'm kind of like a go with the flow type guy. I don't necessarily have a plan, but I'm really good at not having a plan. And I'm very flexible in that, in that regard. But talking to you on this trip, you had like a really nice, like you just, you seemed like you were focused, you were zoned in on what you had to do. You weren't going to go too far out of your plan. Um, Not necessarily that you were for spots, but like you had an idea of what you were going to be doing for the time that you were in North Dakota. And so I was jealous of you at at that (laughs) point because I was like so scattered right then in that particular moment. Like my whole plans in North Dakota just changed, rented a car, was all over the place trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do. And I was really jealous of how relaxed you were. And so that is why you were the guy that I immediately thought of because it just seemed like you had a good plan. And then, of course, talking to you much more between uh, since that point, uh, I kind of have seen your how your planning kind of goes throughout the season. So I want I want you to tell me this is going to be like gear ish, right? So there's going to be some gear that's that's involved in this, but I want to kind of just know your starting point, right? Like this time of the season, you're planning out or this time of the year, you're planning out your season. What are you doing like right now in July? Okay. So, um, (laughs) that, so I I kind of have, I'm going to try my best to do this in my brain works best. If I kind of go from like, uh, a to Z, so I'm going to try not to like skip around. I'm going to go like, try to go through the, the exact process that I would do uh, or that I am doing preparing for, for this upcoming season. So um, the, what I'm doing right now, or it, and really it started a couple months ago um, and, and it's ever changing because it, it's kind of finance focused. So the first thing that I'm doing is I'm actually looking at how much states cost for me to be able to go to hunt them. And I'm, and I'm breaking down, like, what are the, what are the top like seven or eight states that I would love to hunt if money was no option, or if I could go anywhere. In my experience, I've found that I can, I can really truly hunt three to four. Well, like if, if, if it goes beyond that, it starts to get like, spotty and i'm not and i'm not spending enough time in a specific area three to four um, states so, right that's what you're saying yeah three to four yeah. states. So, okay. so, so so i'm trying to understand what my financial commitment is first how much i can feasibly afford um for example like if i'm going to go to illinois that tag costs what three tags might cost um in other places if i'm going to go to you know north dakota again the cost of travel to get there that's a 
from North Carolina, that's like a 26 hour drive <laughs> for me to get to where we were hunting. So this year, that is a big factor because gas is 450 a gallon. So, all right, so, let me stop you right there. Cause I'm thinking yeah. about something is, is your own vehicle always going to be your mode of transportation or will you, will yeah. you potentially fly places? No, I mean, if it was really far out West, maybe. Um, but the reason I, I don't like the, I, maybe it's because I'm lazy and I don't want to like try to ship things back, but I, I, I would rather spend the money to drive out and then have the freedom of being in my own vehicle and being able to go places, know the limitations of my vehicle, so on and so forth. than I would be, um, limited by flight times. Like, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a job where I can, if I need to stay longer, I can stay longer. If I can shorten my trip up, I can shorten my trip up. Having my vehicle lets me do that. I'm not paying flight penalties or dealing with stuff like that. So I'm usually trying to structure my trips in a way that put me in a place around my, my work schedule so that at least I'm traveling to and from, um, you know, where I'm going in, in line with what would be efficient for my travel or work or whatever. Um, and and or maybe we should explain this too about your situation, right? Like kind of talk about what you do with your business and with your company and how that does actually matter with this. Yep. So I'm very lucky to be in the outdoor industry. Um, I own a media production company or co-owned, co-founded um, with my business partner, Matt. We do commercial photo and video content for um, brands like Hoyt and Onyx and Lone Wolf and a, a number of awesome people that we're really proud to represent in the industry. Um, the, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because a lot of the people in the hunting space want you working during the fall. <laughs> but on the bright side, usually the places I'm working are also places that I might want to hunt. So, so I can kind of schedule projects around what I know I have to do. Or if it's a lucky enough year, I can front load my year and then take some extra time off um, in the fall. So I, I can hunt a little bit more. So, um, you know, I don't claim to be the guy that's out there um, that's, you know, killed all the booners in the world or anything like that. But what I do claim to be is I'm lucky enough to typically have some success each year. And, and part of that is because I just have a lot of time to spend in the woods, which is a lot of time to fail <laughs> and figure out what I'm doing wrong. Um, so that hopefully I can, I can get it right at least once or twice. Hey guys, as most of you know, censorship for hunters and anglers is completely out of control. So we've partnered with the social media platform, Go Wild, to combat the mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're actually encouraged on Go Wild. They give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting other friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, like gift cards, free stuff like knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. And if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit GoWild.com to get started. Six Day Grind Coffee Co. is made for people like you, the ones out there grinding to reach your goals every single day. Whether it's the 3 a.m. wake-up calls to get into the woods or just getting through your workday, a good cup of high-quality coffee to start your day is imperative. When you buy from Six Day Grind, you not only get a great bag of premium roasted coffee, 
You also have the opportunity to support conservation through their Coffee for Your Cause program, where 10% of your purchase goes to the conservation organization of your choice. Check out 6daygrindcoffeeco.com today. That's the word 6, followed by daygrindcoffeeco.com. And that all being said, I've seen the way that you you travel and, and the way that you're doing these hunts, right? You're not... The way that I think of, if, if I didn't know you and you said, I'm lucky enough I get to work in the outdoor industry, I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, this guy, he's staying in cabins, you know, deer and deer season and hunting outfitters and, you know, going into these places where it, it's a little bit cush, right? But I've seen what you do and it's definitely not that. You're doing no. what a guy <laughs> would do who's like, I kind of don't have any money. Uh, I want to spend the money I do have wisely. And so I'm going to be minimalist in this approach. I think I would consider you to be a minimalist traveling hunter. I think, yeah, I would probably say that's right. Yes, <laughs> that's fair, fairly accurate. I, I, I think it, I, because I've worked in the industry, I've been around a lot of people who have hunted like that. I myself have never, have never had the luxury to hunt in those kind of cush environments, but having either filmed people in those environments or been around people in those environments um, or been part of a team working with people in those environments, I, it doesn't seem as rewarding me to, that's nothing against those guys. If you're a guy that's traveling to hunt and you're hunting at outfitters and, you know, doing that whole thing, I do whatever you want, man. I fully respect that. But for me, what I get enjoyment out of is like, I enjoy the grind. Like I enjoy I enjoy the long hours. I enjoy the, I enjoy feeling like I don't know anything and having to figure it out and just putting the puzzle together. Like that, that's my thing. Um, regardless of whether I kill, you know, a Pope and young buck or whether I shoot, you know, whatever just makes me happy that happens to cross my path that day. You know, I, I just want to know for me, and maybe it's because I grew up in sports so much. I want to earn it. Like I, I want, I want to work for it. So that's, that's why the public land aspect and kind of doing the whole hunting life on the road thing is so appealing. So when you talk about being like minimalist Parker, I mean, Jake, are you like going tent only? Or are you sleeping in the back of your truck in <laughs> cheap hotels? Like last when you say year, minimalist, break that down for us. So last year was probably the most minimalist I've been. Um, so last year, what I did when I traveled was I actually, um, I, I, I typically bring a tent with me, um, uh, selfish plug to gazelle tents. They make an awesome tent. Um, and, uh, if you guys don't know about them, they're, they're like, they're built like on a hub design, like your ground blinds, they pop up, um, really easily. They're, they're super cool. What was that um, called? So gazelle tents. Gazelle tents. Um, yeah. They're, they're awesome. They're cool people. Good company. Um, I, I like them. They just do a great job and the product is fantastic. Um, so they're built just like a ground blind. So anybody who's a hunter already knows how to work them. They pop out of a bag the same way a ground blind does. Um, so check that out. Yeah. So they're, they're cool. So if you're a tent guy, totally respect that. I've hunted out of the gazelles on the road for a long time. They work great. Um, but last year I wanted to try, I, I wanted to avoid the process of having to just put anything up and take it down. So what I, I, I didn't have the money last year to afford a truck topper, um, which thankfully I have one this year. I've splurged. 
Um, but last year, what I was doing was I actually went and had like a Walmart gazebo that was like the one that you could pop up at the beach. And I would like pop it up and put it over the rear of my truck. Like, and then I would drop it down as far as I could get. And then I would sleep under this gazebo top in my truck bed next to like my hundred quart grizzly cooler in the case I, in case I shot something. So, I mean, <laughs> is that kind of like a pop-up camper? Y- yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But there's no sides on it. It's just the top. <laughs> it's, it's really rough looking. Like when you see it, you're like, that guy's definitely homeless, but, um, <laughs> but it worked for me. It worked for me and it, it let me travel and hunt, um, a, a bunch of States, which was super cool. Um, and, and it, and it's, I like it because it's a low cost way of doing things. That's my favorite thing about them being just super minimal is you don't have to spend a ton of money. Um, you know, when I'm on the road like that, I'm pretty much living off of, um, like, like Walmart rotisserie chickens and like yogurts. <laughs> um, and that's pretty much it. Um, so, so pretty, pretty low key. Um, and then, uh, as far as like my gear goes, you know, um, I thought about this a lot today, um, in trying to the best way to describe what I bring and, you know, I'm bringing obviously my bow, um, and then I'm a stand and sticks guy. So I'm bringing a stand and two sticks. Um, you know, I'll bring like an extra climbing step if it's a state where it's legal, just to screw into the bottom of the tree if I want to. Um, and then other than that, all I'm bringing is clothes and some camping supplies. That's it. Clothes is like my number one thing. Like, um, and I know a lot of guys are probably like, they're probably low key on the clothes. Like they have like a outfit. I would rather have less gear and more clothes that are, that means I'm more prepared for a variety of temperatures and situations than I would be like, have like three different stands and a dip, like a bow and then this and then that, and all, like all this stuff that I'm only not, I'm not going to use a ton of and, and then have like one outfit <laughs> because I, I feel like I would get myself in trouble like that. Plus if it rains, man, you get that wet, you're done yeah yeah like, exactly. like that's one thing i don't get about people when they take one set of clothes i'm like well that's gonna stay you'll be at the laundromat pretty soon yeah like i i usually have um like th- this year i have um i i got a deck system put into my truck and a topper on top of the deck system and i have a whole drawer just the bigger and i'm in a tacoma so the way the tacoma deck systems work is you have a small drawer and a big drawer the whole big drawer is dedicated just to different clothing options um so i've got everything from like my down stuff um for example there were days in um i think it was actually it may have been after you left in north dakota last year parker where it dropped off into like the high 30s which for us southern guys is cold (laughs) (laughs) i know the midwestern listeners are probably gonna gonna gawk at us but but it's cold for me so i want to wear what i'm gonna wear and if I'm going to wear something to be warm, then I'm going to be warm. I'm not, I'm not out there to be shivering on stand and make that be the reason I miss it here. So, um, you know, I would rather be prepared than not. I think I am similar to you. I'd pack everything. Uh, like I, I pack so many different options, but you could ask pretty much anybody who has ever hunted with me. Like if I go, if I go on a hunting trip, I'm probably not going to take a shower. Cause I don't really feel like taking a shower when I could be That's sleeping. 
he doesn't. <laughs> and also, um, I'm just going to take a shower just so I can wake up in, like, at that point, probably in four hours <laughs> to get dirty again. I'm like, I, I'm just going to use that shower time to sleep. So the other thing about that is people don't realize the more options in clothing you bring, the less you have to potentially wash that clothing. So that's, that's also true. You might not have to shower, but if I've got three pairs of pants, that's that's three less pairs. I, that's a lot less times I have to wash those clothes when I fall in the creek, which is probably inevitably going to happen at some point. Let me tell so. you what I, I usually have. This is kind of funny and gross and <laughs> a lot of things all at the same time. So I usually have a pair of something, right? Like I have I have all of my clothing just in case, just in case I have went on like three day solo trips by myself places before three or four days where I just slept in the front seat of my truck and literally never took my shoes off. I never even saw the skin on my feet for three, oh. those whole three days. Cause I just, I would sleep in my truck. I'd get done hunting, get in my truck, go to sleep, <laughs> wake up, go hunt, come back, go to sleep again. <laughs> like just always <laughs> just over and over again. And so like I, I, I like the minimalist approach because um, I'll tell you, public land kind of changed my hunting on public land, changed my outlook on the possibilities of doing out of state trips. But one of the things that like I will literally schedule my season without ever even knowing like where I'm going to stay or who's all going with me or any, like, I don't even think about where I'm going to stay unless it's a big group of guys. Um, if it's a big group of guys and we're all throwing in and getting a, you know, a, a cabin or an Airbnb or something, that's a different story. Um, I will do those from time to time. But most of the time, if, if it's just me, I'm going to sleep in my truck. Uh, mm-hmm. But it opened my eyes to the fact that you can hunt all these different states and it's not it doesn't have to be expensive. It really doesn't. Like, if you're okay with this minimalist approach, like, you can go wherever you want. I'm like, you're talking about uh, Illinois. I don't know how much the Illinois tag is, but in it somewhere around five hundred bucks. Like, yeah, I think it's like close to five hundred bucks. But I think there's like an extra, it's like a hunt fee or something. There's like something. I think it's like all in. You're at like almost six hundred dollars, or between five and six hundred bucks. It's definitely not cheap. So, uh, yeah. but you think about it. That's the only real cost. Yeah. If you go at it with this minimalist approach, you got gas, you've got food, you're already going to be eating all those days anyway. So it, it you, I, I don't even really consider that to be a part of it because I'm probably just going to get peanut butter and jelly from <laughs> Dollar General, yeah. right? Um, you got all these things, like literally the gas and the cost of the tag is all you really have to come up with for these trips. Yep. And I, are you guys like me where you felt when, when I was younger, I felt like if I wanted to go and hunt Kansas, I had to save up 15 years worth of money to go to one of these outfitters to have a good chance to kill them on Kansas. And it's just simply not the case, right? It's so much more liberating. I think, I think, um, so I, I 100% agree with that, but I, where I would say the turning point for me was, was understanding, like, there's a misconception in what it is in the industry that you need to get it done, I think. And, and I think that, like, the idea is, well, you, 
you got to go and you got to shower every night. You got to stay in a lodge. You got to have, you got to have a hotel room. You got to have this and you got to have all these amenities so that you can wash your clothes and you can do all these things. You know, I, I, and I think that they're primarily around scent control, which we can get into later if we want to talk about that. But like, when you try to, when you try to like add amenities into the process of hunting out of state, it becomes really expensive. And it becomes really difficult and, and you take away from the value of, you know, even if, even if you didn't kill something, going out there and learning, getting a year's worth of experience under your belt and having more fun and getting more reps there is more valuable than it would be if you went the other way, in my opinion. Um, all those so. things you don't know, it like stacks up all those questions you can write down going back to kind of that journal piece. I think we talked about before we got on the call. Uh, started recording but you know how many uh the things that you don't realize that you're going to run into are sometimes the most important things to help your confidence the next year it's like i know that i can overcome this i know i'm going to face this this is what i need to prepare for it just helps build that confidence just getting out there doing it one time and even if somebody was to like do a short trip my first trip was to kentucky it's like right across the state line but you know that's going there uh, if it's sleeping in a cabin, sleeping in my truck, whatever, sleeping in a tent my first time, uh, all those things you ran into. And it's like, okay, well, build your confidence and then you can go a little bit further the next time, a little bit further. And you don't even have to necessarily leave your state too. Like that's one of the things that I know I've done here in North Carolina is just if you, nobody's, I mean, the, the, the mentality and the process associated with out-of-state hunts applies to places three hours from your house too. And it's a whole lot easier to hunt there if you just go and spend the night <laughs> versus trying to drive there and back all the time. So the same things that I'm, you know, that we're talking about or that I'm sure we'll get into are going to apply to your own backyard. Like you can be, if you know, like here in North Carolina, there's a part of North Carolina that, you know, routinely produces better deer than other parts of the state. And if you don't live in this part of the state, and you have to travel here, but you're two or three hours away, it's hard, you know, to make that. So if you can figure out a minimal camping setup and run for little weekend trips, it's just going to make you that much more effective and open your opportunity up to maybe getting a better deer. Opportunity is kind of the reason I like the idea of a podcast like this, like what you suggested, Adam. I, I like the idea of opening up more opportunity for myself. How do I do that? How, how do I do that as a hunter? For me, the way I'm going to open up the most opportunity, it goes back to the style of hunting that I do. How do I feel like I get the most opportunity? Well, it's 100% when I'm staying mobile. Like when I'm, when I'm adapting to the situations and not depending on a preset stand or a shooting house or a, a bait pile or whatever, when I'm being 100% mobile, I'm the most effective. And I think, I think everybody, I think that would probably probably be a universal thing if we were all kind of on like a, if, if we, everything was equalized. I think the ability to stay mobile and adapt is what would help everybody. Um, yeah. So why do we get so caught up with committing to a place to stay? Like so many people, they 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 get on that hill and they die there and they don't go to places where they want to go or 
to areas that they know they should be in. They don't want to leave because they've already paid for, you know, this Airbnb or they've already paid and, and you just can't do that. Right. Is that a part of, of your thinking in this is like you want to be able to go, you make your plan for Iowa, let's say, and you go to the place in Iowa and it sucks balls and you can't find any deer. Um, is this part of the reason you've set this system up? for yourself, Jake, is so that you can just move to another part of Iowa if you need to? Yeah. So, and that, that was, a, that's actually a perfect segue. So like one of the things that I, I wanted to talk about was on, um, there's, there's a bunch of stuff here to unpack, but first of all, like when you're, when you're looking at an area, I, I think a lot of guys have this tendency, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to give away like my big secret here, but, <laughs> but like, but the, a lot of guys have a tendency to look at a state and they go, where's the biggest chunk of public land that I can go to? And where can I book an Airbnb right next to that? <laughs> and, 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 and what happens is when you do that, you're assuming that you're going to go to that big chunk of public land. And then because there are quote unquote more opportunities, because the land is larger, then there will be more chances for you to go deeper, to get beyond, to get out away from people. But the problem is, is everybody has that mentality. Like the day we live in a time period where everybody is willing to go further. They have light tree stands, whether it's the custom gear stuff or whether it's saddle platforms like the tethered stuff, everybody can walk really far. Like, so you're not going to outdo people by outwalking them in my like, right. You can, you can typically, but there are always going to be guys that are willing to go that extra mile. So my, in my opinion, I want to look for overlooked places. I want to find small pieces of public that are riskier, that are further away, that I might have to drive 45 minutes between them and camp at each piece of public or near it that evening. And if I find out that there's nothing good there, I might be driving another 45 minutes or an hour or two hours to another spot. And then when I do find the piece or the two or three pieces that I really like, now I've like narrowed my field of view down so much that I know where I'm at and I know I'm in a good spot. And typically because I'm, I'm like really out of the way, um, I'm not running into people. Um, you know, like Parker, when you came and were hunting with us in North Dakota last year, the areas that we were on, there were very little people. And it was because everybody was in a different not, area. Not in size. <laughs> they weren't little people. They were normal sized <laughs> people, uh, but there wasn't many of them. Yeah, there were. Yeah, there were. There wasn't many of them. Yeah, <laughs> um, there, there, there just weren't people there because of the fact that they were hunting a larger, more. <laughs> Parker's cracking up over here. I don't yeah. know why that, that just cracked that me one, up. That one, that uh, one got Parker really no, quick. Guys. There it, were little um, people. Really? There, yeah. He sees all the little dwarves. How little? <laughs> How <laughs> tiny <laughs> were they? <laughs> I'm sure there are little people who hunt too. I feel, I feel really bad. I feel like this podcast took a really non-PC turn all of a sudden, and and I'm going to be in super trouble. We're really, like, um, Jake. really liberal hunter out there. Um, <laughs> um, Did he just say little people? <laughs> I mean, I guess you you actually you didn't say midget. You said little people. So. I mean, you're actually politically correct, so okay, yeah. that's true. you don't have to I worry mean, about it. That's, 
I stay away from anything that would be, con- I just, <laughs> I'm not a limelight guy. I don't want to be anywhere near the light of political correctness or where that's going to, I don't want to be in controversy. Just leave me alone. I want to be in the woods, not in dealing with political correctness. Um, anyways, uh, but yeah, I think my, my point was just like, I'm looking for places that I can hop around between and not necessarily just a place where I can park it and just hit one giant block from a bunch of different angles. Uh, it, and it's hard. It's hard for guys to commit to doing that. Um, a lot of these Midwestern states are, are like this where you have like maybe one or two big giant WMAs or national forests or uh, national wildlife refuges, stuff like that. You might have like one or two of those in a state. Um, but these Midwestern states that I've been to, North Dakota, um, South Dakota, Wyoming, um, can't, I know Kansas is like this. Nebraska's definitely like this. They have those big places, but they have really small WMAs and walk-in areas and places like that that are really um, hard to commit to, right? It, it's hard for a guy from Alabama to say, I'm going to go – to this spot that's not really close to anything big. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to be confined to these little bitty tiny areas. It's, and it's hard to commit to a long trip knowing that you don't have a a giant area to focus on. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't blame people for not wanting to commit to that. And that's why it kind of hurts saying it because it is, it is one of those like kind of un unknown secrets like it kind of hurts telling the whole public about this idea that you should not commit to these big chunks but it's so hard for people to do that i don't think it's gonna i don't think sharing this information is going to change a whole lot i really don't well if it, if it does then i'll get to go hunt big chunks for once in my life exactly so, then we got the big chunks <laughs> yeah so hopefully everybody goes and just scatters all over the place and now the big chunks have no pressure and that makes it worth me going chasing there so but I think the point being is it's like sometimes, um, and I think it applies to a lot of, a lot of like different things within hunting, but taking the risky approach can pay off, but it, it's, it's, you know, you're very much like rolling the dice, and, but you have to, but that's the thing about being mobile in your hunting strategy it, from a travel standpoint is if it doesn't work out, you can pick up and go somewhere else. Um, it's the same philosophy with going into a place and looking at like having like, um, to kind of continue the conversation on like when I, when I pick a region or a place that I want to go to, I'm not just like picking one, one WMA, even if it's a small WMA, I'm not just like, okay, this is, this is a a thousand acre block or a 80 acre block or a 2000 acre block. It's not just choosing that place and being like, that's where I'm going. I'm going to choose seven of those within a two hour circle or a three hour circle. And then the first two or three days that I'm there, I'm going to spend driving and walking perimeters to see what hunting pressure is like, like, is the deer population good? Am I seeing sign that would indicate it's worth my time? And hopefully I can narrow down to two or three spots that I can hop around within like a general vicinity that gives me enough time 
to if I make a mistake, I can go somewhere else. If I if the wind is wrong in one place, I'm not going to blow it up. I can pop somewhere else. Or maybe one property is a morning spot. Like I hunt a lot of places that are they're just morning properties or they're just evening properties. So it doesn't do me any good to try to hunt a morning place because all of my access is from fields and I'm going to get busted going in. If I, if that's the only piece that I choose, I'm only going to hurt myself. So I would look for something to, to counter that. It's like, like, um, you know, like a strengths, weaknesses thing, like a relationship, like you got to have somebody that's really good at one thing and somebody that's really good in another thing. Um, you know, and that it, if you look at your properties that way, it keeps you from blowing up properties that might not have at all. And sometimes those properties that don't have at all, to me, seem to be the places that don't get hit very often. So, you which, know, or the, which that yeah. leads to another benefit that you see that I know you specifically have utilized and it's permission, finding yeah. permission on these places that are kind of away from all the hunting pressure. Talk about that for a minute. So I think, I think when I'm one of the biggest things that I try to do. Um, so when I go somewhere, the first thing that I do is I, I'm typically willing to knock on doors. So there's, I think there's two, there's a couple different types of like door knocking to me. So the first type is understanding what pressure looks like in an area. So I'll go ask, I'll go knock on doors just to ask if people hunt there. Like, Hey, do you see cars parked here during deer season? You know, is it a prime, like, like, and just learn about what it is. And I've actually found properties, public places that never, that the locals are like, they never get touched. Nobody hunts here. And, and it's like, well, that old lady lives right next door. She's got no reason to lie to me. Like, <laughs> I don't, I, I'm, you know, and it turns out that she's telling the truth. So um, then the, the next thing would be, I'm looking for walk-on access to public first and foremost. So when I get there, I'm typically looking for pieces of public that are, that are boundaried by a lot of private property or are just really hard to access. Um, hard to access first and foremost, whether it's all public or public that's boundaried by a lot of private. And then I'm going to try to get walk-on permission just to cross their property. If in that conversation, I think there's an opportunity to ask for permission, I'm always looking for a way to ask in a position that makes me as least as little with as little level of intrusion as possible because i'm coming from out of state they don't know me um i just i want to make sure that my interest there is to not be invasive you know i'll offer to park you know not even on their property and then walk and you know do whatever i have to do to accommodate that but um yeah, I think that's a huge, I think that's a huge aspect that I think a lot of guys are intimidated to go and do and to door knock and just to ask. And, you know, I, I feel like they've, it's been said on a thousand podcasts and it'll probably be said a thousand times more, but the worst thing is they can say is no. So it, it just tells you one less place that you have to walk in. Um, <laughs> last, last year in North Dakota, I, I uh, got walk-in permission from a, from a guy who had shot a guy. <laughs> from walking on his property so yeah yeah that he was i went i went and talked to a neighbor and i was like yeah i just got permission to walk across this guy's lane he's like i'm surprised you even talked to him because he's on like like uh like house arrest <laughs> for shooting somebody and i was like oh, man. probably shouldn't ask him but i mean i got walk on permission anyways and um you know i ended up killing a deer because of that so yeah. 
you know, it's, it's, um, if you're friendly and you're not standoffish and you don't try and like, you just come up and you're honest and, you know, if they say no, like, it's okay to ask them, but don't push too hard. Um, you know, you're better off to like wait a couple of days and try to come back again. Like, you know, if, it, if that's the case, um, and, you know and do you feel, really having a hard time. do you feel like your odds of, of them saying yes goes up when you're further away from those big giant public areas? Mm, I, I think I would probably, so I don't hunt. I want to, I want to be clear in the sense of like, I don't have a lot of experience hunting big giant public areas because I just don't do that. I've, I've driven to them and been like, oh, this would be cool to check out. And then there's a billion cars parked there. And I'm like, I'm not even going to try. So I would assume that because those people are getting probably door knocked more often than not, that they're just going to be tired of getting asked and less likely to do it. In my experience, the further I am away out in the country, the less people that they run into out of staters, like, you know, when I was in North Dakota last year, I was leading with, hey, I'm from North Carolina. And they were just shocked that I was all the way there from North Carolina <laughs> to hunt deer. And they're like, don't you have deer in North Carolina? I was like, yeah, I mean, but you have them here too. And, <laughs> and, and you know, you it, it just kind of, it, it shows that you're in, I think that they appreciate that like you see value in their neck of the woods because not a lot of people look at these really rural middle of nowhere places as valuable and if you approach it with you know like i was talking about earlier like just honesty and being a genuine person and they can tell that they don't feel like you're just trying to get something out of them um i i think it can work out in your favor a lot it's worked out for me um and i've made a lot of friendships with people that that I still keep in touch with today doing that. Yeah. So kind of go leading on that. Um, Cause I know you've had some conversations with game wardens and things like that. And uh, I'm interested to know, is that any part of your preparation for an out of state hunt, like contacting biologists or uh, anything like that to try to figure out the best areas? Um. So it depends on where I'm going. Um, if it's a place that I'm that I'm super unsure of, or like some states just don't have really good regulations, like between the app and Alabama has it has has it going on. Like everything seemed very clear cut for me. I don't, Parker, I probably you're making <laughs> no, it don't. It sucks. <laughs> you don't know any of the rules. You might get arrested and not even know why. <laughs> Alabama DNR, they do a good job. It's so I, it's I so confusing. I got I got a phone call from Alabama the other day asking me about a survey, just just to see how my hunting experience was. I've never had that happen before, and I really appreciated that um, because I was like, it me it means a lot to me that a state looks at me as a hunter and goes, we want to know how like how did it go for you? How can we make things better? And I was like, that's cool. But point being is like. Some states, you ha I think you have to do that because it's just harder to figure things out and other states you don't. I was lucky enough in North Dakota when I was there last year, um, right before I met you, to have just run run into a fish and wildlife officer. Um, I was driving one way down a dirt road, he was driving the other and I stopped and honked at him. We ended up having 
like an hour and a half conversation on the side of the road. And then he gave me his number and we're friends. So, you know, I, I think people look at a lot of fish and wildlife officers like they're, or, you know, game wardens, like they're these people to be afraid of. I would rather talk to them if I can get their number ahead of time, or if I see them out, like I will go out of my way to talk to that because he he's there. He sees, he or she sees everything. Like they see everything that goes on. They know where the deer harvested. They know where places get pressure. They can help you dial in further than otherwise. So if you can get a hold of them ahead of time, um, you know, I know the THP guys are big advocates of doing that. Um, you know, if you can get a hold of them ahead of time, I'm a huge proponent of that. If you can't and you happen to see one like rolling around the public while you're there, just stop and ask them questions. It'll, it's well worth your time. And, and, you, and it's better that they know who you are, because if they know that you're open and friendly and you're doing the right thing and you have no issue talking to them, then, you know, they're not going to bother you. You know, they're not, you know, they're not going to startle you. And nobody likes walking out to your vehicle and seeing Mr. Green Jeans standing next to your truck. There's, I mean, there's a moment of panic <laughs> for me every time. It's like, did I do something wrong? What did I do? <laughs> um, whenever that happens. So, you know, it, the more you can avoid that situation, the better. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, kind of to, to that point, like, I think whenever I'm looking at a place like, uh, let's just say, for example, let's say I wanted to go hunt Mississippi. This is a great example, actually, because I did it last year. Uh, I want to go hunt Mississippi. Um, I went to uh, the place that we went to was literally probably like in the lower. I don't want to say this because I don't know 100 percent. It wasn't the like big buck area of mississippi mm -hmm. right it was it wasn't like you know like oh there's all the big deer come out of this you know the delta or whatever um which okay everybody kind of knows that like that's kind of like big buck area of mississippi right so we decided to go somewhere else a little bit different somewhere that was going to be uh like we said a little harder access um not really close to any big towns or anything it was just it was just you know, it looked, it didn't look like much on the map, but we decided to go there and I'm glad we did because what I learned was, is there was, we were literally in the middle of the rut and there was nobody else hunting. I think I ran into like one other person driving on a road. Other than that, we didn't see a soul, not even yeah. the main, the main parking areas. There was nobody there. Um, like all that weekend, nobody there. And we saw a lot of deer. Those, <laughs> we saw deer those everywhere. Areas are like they're hunted by locals during the best time to be in the woods, which is usually the first week or two of rifle, and then that's it. Like they don't, they just don't get hunted. Um, Do you want to know more about saddle hunting? Well, you can go to tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you know me, you know that I love to have a system for all of my hunting equipment where everything works together, and we preach about it a lot on this podcast. When you buy from Tethered, you can rest easy knowing that all your gear is designed to work together as a system. Saddles, platforms, ropes, climbing sticks, and a ton of other great gear just for saddle hunting can be found by visiting tetherednation.com today. That's tetherednation.com.
www.ghostbusters.com. Check them out. One of the things I wanted to talk about with that Alabama question, which I think is important when you're going to go out of state, is to look for things that you are confident in. So for me, I know what I have have success in here in North Carolina because I get the opportunity to hunt. I have a number of different terrain types that I can hunt here, but since this state gets the most hunting time for me and I get the most opportunity to both succeed and fail here, I can try to take similar either topographical or terrain features or landscape types and apply them to different areas of the country. It might not always be the same trees or the same whatever, but usually the deer are doing relatively similar things, um, or I can go into them with a similar strategy. So that was why I was looking in the area of Alabama that I was, was because the type of places that I have success here were very similar to that. And what I found out when I got there was that they did very similar things to what I knew they were doing here, which immediately put me ahead of the game, Um, you know, versus I think a lot of guys look at an out-of-state hunt and they go, oh, man, I'm going to go to the Midwest. And then they end up in Illinois. They're from the South and they end up in Illinois in this real ridgy terrain. And they're struggling because they don't understand how to hunt that when they could just you know, go somewhere into a flatland area or to the river and hunt big bottomlands and have the same type of success that they might have in the South because they're so, they know how to work that terrain. They know the game plan. Um, They're not having to start from square one. Man, confidence, man, that, that can't be understated as well. You might be, you might have enough experience in those ridge big woods environments to be successful but if you don't have that same level of confidence that you did in that river bottom you just need to get to the river bottom period yep Yep. here here's uh, this has been said on this podcast before by uh jeremy aaron actually our whole podcast was pretty much about this jeremy it was about this time last year i think around july um and he's from the do-it-yourself hunter on youtube and Mm -hmm. He was talking about the same thing. I asked him the question, hey, how are you so successful on these big deer in all these different states? It seems like every state you go to, you kill a really nice buck. And he said, well, it's, it's easy. I I go to places that set up similar to what I hunt at home. Right? He like, the game plan. Yeah, he, he knows what he knows. <laughs> For me, it's really tempting to want to go to Kentucky and hunt ag, right? Like, that's what I want to hunt when I go there. Because it, it just seems right. Like, it's just, it's what, it's what I grew up watching on Monster Bucks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it yeah. seems like there should be so many deer there. But what I found out is I'm a whole lot more effective if I go and hunt Kentucky in the ridgy stuff in the hill country, yeah. in the big woods, because that's what I hunt well here at home. Yeah. And so, like, I think it's really, really a good piece of information that everybody should consider to not get carried away with what you're talking about, with what you wish you could hunt back home. Hunt the stuff that you're successful on at home. I think that that is, like, if there's one piece of information that somebody could take from you out of this podcast, that's, like, the most, I think it's going to do you the most good. Yeah. And you might get to a place, like, and you may have, like, two or three properties, and one of them might look really cool and be really different and you might be seeing deer there. And then you're also seeing deer on a place that looks more like what you're accustomed to. Like if the goal is to get in and get the job done, it's better that you 
go to what you know how to work versus try to re you're just it's not that you can't get it done on a new place that's totally attainable but you set yourself up for you there's a level of risk that i think is acceptable and there's a level of risk that puts yourself in opportunity like in this ballpark of of your trip ending in failure and that's different to everybody if the successful end of your trip is to have a harvest then you know you should stick to what gets you closest to that goal um you know if it's not to have a harvest and it's to learn an area and you're going to come back another year then you know maybe you're less like you don't have as much on the table that trip um you know or if you have two trips that year you know we haven't really you know we haven't talked about that but that's that's another thing to take into account too if you're hunting a place multiple times you know you might have more flexibility than a guy that's on a once-off yeah i mean so let's talk about that is that going into your planning of like well i don't i would rather let's just say for example i would rather hunt um i'd rather hunt mississippi than hunt arkansas but crap i'm going to be in arkansas another time this year like i could potentially set myself up to hunt the same state twice and have up my odds of success is that going into your planning as well um a little bit so i think in a in a if i want to be transparent here and say like if gas prices weren't what they are right now in all honesty i would probably be more willing to take more once-off trips to the midwest and i want to emphasize that by saying like i i am in north carolina so it's a far drive for me like it's you know 10 hours to any any of these places where you're like that's a really good big buck destination um, so for me, I'm looking at places where there's a higher success rate on really big mature deer that are closer to home. And then I'm trying to double down on that. So for example, um, like, and I know you had Dave Miller on the podcast, like West Virginia and Virginia don't get a lot of like praise. There's not a lot of music sung about them, but they kill a lot of, there's a ton of big deer killed in those states. I mean, in the mountains and it's tough hunting, but there's a ton of big deer killed there. So, you know, I would argue those two states, people are going to probably chastise me because everybody likes to be crazy about Ohio. I think the most attainable big deer on the East coast are in Virginia and West Virginia. And if you're going to like, for me, if I'm going to take the choice of either going for a once off, and driving to Western Kentucky or Illinois or Wisconsin, or just being able to drive three hours and hunt Virginia two or three times a year on week long trips. I'm going to take that every day of the week because I can learn a place, break it down more. I can dive in deeper. You know, I can build relationships because it's closer to home. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, am I going to have the same opportunity that I would have in Illinois? No, but I can put myself in that opportunity by being out there more often, hopefully. Yeah, that's good stuff. I, I think about that often with, I know you do too, right, Adam, with Kentucky and selling out to Kentucky. This seems like, Adam, like it, it really is kind of tailored to um, what he's talking about right here specifically, kind of kind of how you've decided that you're going to hunt, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't feel like I need to stretch out any further than what I do. Um, I want to be able to just understand 
uh, and break, like you talked about, Jake, just break down those, those areas. It's two or three hours from my house. You know, I'm married. I got a full-time job. It's a very demanding job. I'm kind of in a different situation. So I've got very, very short hunts. Like when I go hunt with Parker, like Parker's there maybe a week and I'm there three days. Right. And Parker's able to scout and I'm not able to, but if I can go back to those same areas and break those down year after year, maybe that helps me to, to find success faster, which I don't do that, but I'm working on it, Parker. What are you talking about? Fine. You, this is the second daggum time you've talked about this, that, that you've just <laughs> totally, this it, you've totally just stuck your foot in your mouth. So get this, Jake, uh, earlier this <laughs> oh, week, earlier this week, me and Adam, we were talking about early season plans and stuff and uh, killing, trying to go hunt velvet bucks somewhere, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee, whatever. And Adam's like, oh, I don't know, man. It just doesn't really, these hunts just don't really get me fired up. This son of a gun two years ago killed his largest buck ever in full velvet during this early season velvet hunt. A 164 inch giant, like mega buck. And the son of a gun's over here. That hunt just doesn't really fire me up that much. I'm like, really, Uh, dude? Okay. In my defense, in my defense. The Kentucky deer that I killed later in that year, the I guess it was December, with a a bow buck, right? Like I was way happier in like the sense of accomplishment and getting it done and just overall satisfaction. And that buck will never even see my wall, right? But that's the one I was happier with. So you were experience. What you were happier? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, I was happier with the experience. I mean, yeah, like everybody else is going to sit on the wall, like, whoa, that's a great bug. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's freaking awesome, right? You're it's treating like it like it was a high fence deer or something. Like, <laughs> no, you went out in August in a hurricane and shot a 164 inch deer at like 10 feet, and it just happened to be here. with a rifle. I'm just, I would like to, I would like to, I just wish you would appreciate your blessing. <laughs> I wish you would appreciate your blessings more. That's all I'm trying to say. My wife, uh, no, but, but seriously, I don't even remember what we were talking about. Um, with that, we were (laughs) talking about your, about your, you know, breaking down pieces of public or breaking down pieces of land close to your house. Yeah. That two or three hours away, that sort of thing. And so I think, and I, I like, I think something good to kind of jump into with that, because, you know, and I want to reiterate that a lot of this stuff, whether you're hunting far out of state when it comes to like breaking down the piece itself it's going to apply to places two or three hours away the same way it will to places 15 or 20 hours away it doesn't the distance doesn't matter my my strategy or what i'm sure you guys do is probably pretty similar um you know when i look at a place like my, my first thing that I'm looking for when I when I'm going to a place whether it's two or three hours away or further is frequency by hunters um so what what is like we talked about earlier like the big pieces um and doing a little bit of online research now that's not saying that like forums always hold the truth but i think there's something to be said about if you google a place and there's there's nothing about it It, there's not a word that pops up and then you google another place and there's article after article and forum after forum after forum probably because there's people that go there like (laughs) you know it's it's a part of the map that's been discovered you know so you know and then when i get there the frequency of hunters thing is is the same thing you know i'm trying to look at parking spots i'm trying to look at where people are going 
the people that do hunt there, how often they hunt there, whether that's by knocking on a local's door and asking what the pressure is like, um, or whether that's by just understanding um, the lay of the land and putting boots on the ground. You know, the understanding where people are and is, is the biggest first step um, to narrowing everything down, in my opinion, at least. Do you, do you agree, Parker? Like, is that part of your approach too, or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of the time, you know, I'll do the research that I need to do. If it seems like, if there's something that I just really, really like about a big chunk area, uh, then I may go there first just to assess the situation. Cause if I get there and there, there's not a lot of people there and it has what I'm looking for, then that's awesome. I would much rather have all this land to hunt than the small, tiny chunks like that. I'd way rather have the big one. So sometimes you just never know. So I may go there, but I'm still going to stay true to my, um, to, to, to what I said earlier about like my camp setup is, is all like, it's it's only temporary, right? Like I don't set up to commit to one place Unless I'm going yeah. with a big group of guys. Um, yeah. But even then, mentally, and I try to let people know this about going on a trip with me. Like, I might, I might leave. Like, if if I'm not seeing the deer that I want to see, I might go somewhere else. Right? Like, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can. Even if that means eating 200 bucks on a room for the rest of the week or whatever. You know, I, I'm still going to mentally be mobile as well. And... And a lot of times what ends up happening is, uh, for example, I went to a pretty big area in Wyoming to turkey hunt this year. And I got there thinking there was going to be people all over the place. And honestly, there was hardly anybody there. Like, it was pretty low pressure. And I'm glad I went to the spots that I did, right? Because otherwise, I would have just been driving around looking for a place to hunt. And people who know the situation that happened... That's actually what I ended up doing because I got sick. But um, I still spent the whole time that I was in Wyoming on the giant piece of property. Another good example is turkey hunting in Florida this year. We went to an area that was big, some bigger towns around it. And uh, there was some pressure, but I went on the first day that we got there and shot a bird in just a few hours. Right. And so, like, it can happen where you find these you you can go into these big areas and figure out that like man there's really just not a lot of hunting pressure and you have a bunch of land to kind of break down um but i think for, with the, the most go ahead go ahead no no you're sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you I, I was just gonna throw an asterisk into that so as far as deer goes for me i 100 percent agree with that but it applies for the time of the year so so like if I'm looking at places, I'm I'm more apt to go check like a bigger piece of property um, in kind of not the prime times of the year. And by prime times, I mean opening few days of bow season, opening few days of muzzleloader, opening few days of rifle, peak rut. That's really it. So anything that's not during those three or four windows of like, and really they're three to five day spans. Like I'll, I'll go check, you know, anywhere because most of the people are, they're everyday guys. So somebody's going to make a trip. They're going to go somewhere for opener. 
in North Dakota last year, there were a lot of guys that came over from Minnesota and they were there for three days opening weekend. And then they were gone. And there was a ton of pressure for three days and then it was gone. <laughs> and then it was a ghost town. And even the game warden reiterated that. And the same thing goes for a lot of places. I've seen it in Virginia. I've seen it in Georgia in North Carolina. I've seen it everywhere is people hunt one specific window and then they're out. Um, so, you know, if it's, if it's the second or third week of bow season, I'm not opposed to going to look at a big track because there's probably not going to be a lot of people there. But if I'm like, I'm going to go hunt the rut because I'm taking my, you know, quote unquote rutcation, <laughs> um, as you will. And, and that's my time to go do this. You know, I'm going to try to put myself in a higher odds position of being around less people because it means that I'll have less pressured animals and deer that act more like deer. Um, yeah. But it doesn't mean that you can't hunt big properties. It just means, you know, do it wisely, I think. Um, you know, I guess that's just my thought. I think it's, that's super good information. And um, I, I think for me, it, it just listening to you talk, Jake, some of the main things that I'm taking away from this that I could probably do differently is I, I really like this last conversation, this last point about maybe planning your season, um, planning your trips in the maybe uh, it, there there is like a buffer zone. I think between just like it's going to be crap hunting in a certain time of year, like maybe don't go <laughs> that week, but yeah. like you talked about peak rut, like, so some, everybody's going to want to be in a tree on November the 7th, right? Like, or like three days before and three days after that date is when everybody's going to be in Illinois trying to hunt the rut. So maybe go like, maybe plan a trip for like Halloween through November 3rd or plan a trip for, November the 11th through the 15th or something like that. There's like a buffer zone of still really good hunting and significantly less pressure. I think I could do a better job of planning that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I think that's key. I think that's, I mean, you're just essentially and the more hunters that we have um, or the more people that the more popular public land hunting continues to become the more, there's, you know, I don't want to get scolded for this. There's good deer pretty much everywhere, depending on what your standard is. Like there's, you know, you can, you can complain about Florida all you want, but I know guys down there that shoot 140 inch deer regularly. And Parker, you saw a giant down there this last year. Yeah, I, miss, I missed him twice, but we don't talk about that a lot. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the point being is it's like, wherever you go, there's big deer. Yeah, It's more important that you pick a place, in my opinion, that is, where people aren't you can find big deer it's just you know or big based on your standards now if you're some of these guys their goal and thresholds are really high so they may have really specific places where they can shoot something that's a 160 or up on public it may be harder to do but for you know guys like me my goal every year is if, if i can find a pope and young when i'm out of state i'm stoked like i'm jacked so that's that's what my threshold is at if i find something bigger then that's that's great um but you know with that being said i look three and a half years or four years and older something that's in that pope and young caliber and i'm a happy guy um you know if i go to illinois i might set my standards a little higher <laughs> but i'm not hunting illinois right now um you know so 
you know, between that and, and I think being open to just focusing on only taking what you need to take with gear. Um, you know, for me, that's clothing. Like I like to have variations in my clothes to make sure that I'm comfortable on stand, but I only take like, you know, I'll take two pairs of boots, one for when it's cold, one for when it's not, um, one stand, two sticks, um, and either in pro and usually a cooler, something to sleep on. That's, that's all I take. I don't take anything else. My, my truck is almost as empty when I'm on the road hunting as it is when I'm driving around hunting. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, because like you said earlier, Parker, it just makes you more, it makes, I'm going to make an analogy here. Cause I use this to explain to guys when I talk about being open to hunting with two sticks. And I think it's easy to understand hunting low from this philosophy. If you get up in the tree and you're four sticks high, or if you're a guy that's got to be 25 or 30 feet all the time and you're sitting there and you go, man, that buck just crossed 70 yards away. I wish I could have shot him. That buck just crossed 70 yards away. And you're like, I would love to get down and move my stand at 9 a.m. to that spot. But I'm, you know, I look down and there's six sticks below me or four sticks. The endeavor of making that move becomes so much harder because now you're not just moving a stick or two. You're moving a whole huge set. And it's got to be down and you got to pack it up because it's heavy. And now there's this whole process and, and you take yourself out of the game versus if you were hunting lower or if you had a more mobile set, whether that's a mobile set at three or four sticks or a mobile set at two sticks, the idea, the idea is the same and that your efficiency to break down and move and do it quickly is, is worth more than than just being 30 feet in a tree like you don't you know and it's the same thing with your truck and your camping setup you're better off being flexible than and being able to move places than being like oh man well i've got my giant like canvas wall tent set up and i've got you know three coolers and my coleman stove out and i've got like my my dinner cooler here my lunch cooler and my breakfast cooler and we're having all this like fancy cookware and stuff it's like dude like if, if something goes wrong or if if like if the weather just gets bad in that region and it's going to take it's it's very inconvenient for you to pack up and you can ruin the vacation time that you have very quickly so you know if you're really about maximizing your time then the best way to do it whether you're in the stand or whether you're with your gear is just to have less of like, I mean, that's that I really believe that, um, you know, it just keeps your focus on what you're there to do. That, that, so. I think that's what it comes down to keeping your focus on what you're there to do. You're not there to be close to town so you can eat McDonald's. I have I have 300 days out of the year that I can eat good fast food. Right. Yeah. Like I have a certain amount of days that I can concentrate solely on killing a buck and I want to be doing that. I don't want to be worrying about where I'm going to take my next shower or, um, you know, any of the other stuff we talked about. It just doesn't, it's not something I feel like worrying about when I'm, when I'm doing what I love to do most. Right. That's what <laughs> I, mean, I'm I, know guys who, I know guys who love to go to the stand and they'll be like, man, like, you know, I need this giant backpack because I've got to have like my lunchtime and my snacks and then this half <laughs> gallon of water and all this stuff. And I'm like, 
I'm like, you're going back to the truck at 11. <laughs> like, are you, you're telling me that you can't go from like from 6 a.m. until 11 without eating? Like, like, like I get if it's a long hike and you need water, but come on, like, like you're 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 going back anyways. Like it's like you might not be. Some people aren't even awake yet at 11 o'clock. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and this dude's already having first lunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's sitting up there like, oh man, like was that fad a few years ago where people were like biscuits and gravy oh, yeah. and eating it. <laughs> I didn't. I could not. I could not wrap my head around that from the sheer standpoint of I was just thinking about like how much more. I was like, well, it's like now I need to figure out something to strap my gravy container to the tree. And then I have to have a tin for keeping my biscuits warm. And then I'm, there's so many things that I'm doing. What was it? Was it like snacks for racks or something like that? Yeah, there was. Yeah, it's, I, I'm sure there's there's all sorts of. But I'm I put that crap in the truck before you walk in. Like, yeah, that's, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah scarf it down. I can't. Yeah, my, I don't know, man. I, I just, I feel like anything anything in my my pack is the same way i have like a super tiny pack my goal when i get in the tree is to have like just my grunt tube and maybe like my range and my range finder left in that pack that's all there is like when i'm on stand my job is to be on stand like that is that is my job so i, I will say um, there's there's one amenity that i'm a little girl about now and i just started it last year and that's taking coffee into the tree like taking coffee this gigantic coffee thermos oh. that's probably like 50 percent of the weight that i have in my backpack is this gigantic coffee thermos and i'm telling you i've always been against it for the reasons that we're talking about like i've always been like no nah, i'm not taking that big giant and i took it one day i was like this this increases the quality of my hunt right here like <laughs> well this is a quality of life thing if it's if it's a quality of hunt increase i mean it, you know you're at the end of the day you're out there to have a good time i mean yeah. for me a good time is hammering a red bull at 4 a.m in the morning and then just getting after it and getting after it i would never carry a thermos into mm. the woods but you know when i'm on the road i i pretty much give up my coffee situation i just cool her down with like a dozen energy drinks and that's what i'm having it's almost like there's something special about waking up and just not having had anything, and the first thing you drink is an ice cold Red Bull. Just, <laughs> just, it just kicks sounds, your morning off special. Sounds, I'm gonna lie, that sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> that sounds terrible. But you know what? If it works, hey guys, we've been uh, we've been going at this for a little while, and uh, I still got. I'm leaving to go out of town tomorrow, so I got a lot of packing I need to get done. But Jake, man, we really appreciate you coming on. Adam, was there anything I'm missing or uh, leaving out that you wanted to ask? No, man, I would uh, I would highlight something I think we went through really quick that Jake mentioned about, you know, where he positions himself in the midst of like multiple chunks of public land, right? Usually smaller chunks, mm -hmm. but that he leaves himself two or three days to scout. I, I hear a lot of people talk about speed scouting or they just talk about, they don't even talk about speed scouting. They talk about scouting before they go hunt. And a lot of times when I, you really kind of get down in the details, they're scouting one chunk of land. And then they're going all the way through it and probably bumping deer and making a mess. And what I heard Jake saying was really like, hey, you know, position yourself in the right spot and be able to get into multiple places to find the right habitat, the right, the, you know, the right amount of pressure that you want to be at. And so I want to 
want to make sure people didn't miss that. That to me is like one of the things that I wrote down is like, okay, I got to make sure like when I'm planning these out of state hunts to leave myself some time to do this type of scouting and then also be able to be mobile in that regard as well. Yeah. It's good stuff. Jake, what are, what are your plans? What are the States that you plan to hunt this season? Oh man. So I'm still undecided for opener. Um, I'll, I'll be somewhere out West. Um, you know, probably in Nebraska or North Dakota. I don't know yet, um, but I, one of the two. And then the rest of my season is going to be spent in um, North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia. And I might, there's a chance I might even jet down if I get lucky back to Alabama or, or South Georgia or something like that. Alabama is really appealing because it's like after New Year's. So I can technically budget it for 2023. <laughs> and, yeah. And, uh, and make excuse to be able to go after the ATA show. So that's going to be probably, you know, if we consider it this fall, fall and winter season, I would probably say one state out west and then North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, and Alabama. Sweet. Um, Sounds like an awesome see. lineup. Yeah. You got some w- West Virginians going to be pissed at you after this episode, but oh yeah. Other than yeah. that, <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, people, I feel like I, I make a lot of people mad talking about places. Anyways, I don't care. I mean, I I just want everybody to have a good time. Go hunt and have fun and absolutely feel something cool and you know uh, explore somewhere new. So. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. And as always, a big shout out to all of our partners. That's Go Wild, Tethered, Spartan Forge, and Six Day Grind Coffee Company. You can keep up with Southern Ground Hunting by following us on Facebook or Instagram or subscribing to the YouTube channel. And you can be sure to check us out at southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch, read some blog articles, and all that good stuff. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll see you here again next week. Remember that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We will talk to you next week.